evening. So good to see you guys here tonight. If you have your Bible, would you turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. Matthew, chapter 1. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this evening, God, and we are just in awe of you. Father, as we've sang these songs of the things you've done for us, Lord, of sending your Son down to earth for us, God, it's such an amazing thing, the plan and the purpose that you had for us because of your love for each one of us. Father, we thank you and we pray as we dig into your word tonight that you would just speak to us. May your Holy Spirit come upon us, God. May you open up our minds and our eyes to understand the things of you. And, and we ask that personally you would speak to each one of us. We welcome you here and we pray that you would move among us this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let me read you guys a story real quick. It's about a Persian monarch whose name was Shah Abbas. And this monarch loved his people very much. And he often, to better understand and to better know his people, would dress up in disguises and would go about the city and would mingle with his people. Now, one day, he went dressed as a poor man and went into um, the public bath area. And there on the corner of this tiny cellar, he found a man sitting on the floor next to the furnace. This man was the fireman that was responsible for keeping the furnace lit. Now, the monarch spent some time with this man, and he eventually would eat lunch with him. He would eat of the coarse food that this man would have. And day in and day out, he would show up here to spend time with this man and to speak with him as he was his friend. Now, one day, the monarch decided to tell the lowly man who he was and told him that he was actually the monarch, expecting that the man would require or request a gift from him. This is what the man said as he sat gazing at his ruler with love and wonder, he said these words, You left your palace and your glory to sit with me in the dark place, to eat of my coarse food, to care whether my heart is glad or sorry. On others you may bestow riches, but to me you have given me of yourself. And it only remains for me to pray that you will never withdraw the gift of your friendship. That beautiful story is a great picture of our King Jesus who left the glories of heaven to come down to earth with us that his friendship and his love would never be withdrawn from us. Now, as we go through the Gospel of Matthew, that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at our King. Matthew, if you remember, is focusing really on um, convincing the Jews, trying to get them to understand that Jesus is the promised king, the promised Messiah. 
And Matthew, what he would do in order to begin to present this case before um, the Jewish readers, he started by being able to uh, say, if Jesus is the king, then he had to come from the right lineage, from the tribe of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and from the tribe of Judah and from the line of King David. And Randy did a great job last week of walking us through that. Now, this week, we're going to take a look at the announcement of our king. And as we make our way through, our hope is that we would be able to have maybe a renewed sense of, uh, of just passion and love and understanding and maybe a heart of gratitude for what God was willing to do for you and I. Now, again, if you have your Bible, turn with me to verse 18 of chapter 1. Because we'll just jump right in. And it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary uh, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was with child, or she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. Now, as we make on our journey through the Gospel of Matthew, we understand that Matthew really records the announcement and the birth of Jesus from the viewpoint of Joseph. While the Gospel of Luke focuses on the viewpoint of Mary, here Matthew is focusing on Joseph. And so we don't see all the great details that Luke presents in the Gospel of Luke. We tend to focus... um, in Christmas time, we normally read the account through Luke because there's such great detail that is told. But Matthew is here focusing on this account through Joseph's perceptive or perception, his viewpoint. And, and we're going to focus on that a little bit. And so tonight, as we're looking, we're told that Mary is found to be with child um, after they were bethrothed and before they had actually been together. It gives us insight into the time frame of when this took place. It took place, her pregnancy took place during what is called the betrothal period. Now, in order to understand what is taking place and to understand the full context, we really have to understand a little bit about uh, the marriage process in ancient Israel. Now, I remember when my wife and myself um, were married, we actually met in junior high and We started dating in high school, and eventually we graduated and got engaged. And during the engagement process, we would prepare for the wedding, prepare the food, preparing the flowers, sending out invitations, preparing even the house that we had rented in order for the day that we got married, we would be moving into it. And on April 19th, 2003, we got married. Actually, today is our 20-year anniversary, so i got to say a shout-out to my wife. I don't know where she's at, but I know she's here. I got to say thank you for allowing me to teach. So if you see her, say happy anniversary. Helps to keep me out of trouble. But that's kind of the, the normal steps of marriage in our culture. We can understand the getting to know each other. We can understand the dating process. We can understand the engagement um, aspect of it. And then the big wedding ceremony. That's pretty normal. Now, for the time that we're looking at, normally a marriage was arranged by the fathers of a young boy and a young girl early on 
two families would get together and they would understand that they would want to unite their family. And so they would make an arrangement that when our kids are of age, they will get married. And so at this point, at any time, this arrangement could be broken off. Now, the kids would finally be of age and they would enter into the marriage process. Now, this normally was a two-step process. The first being the betrothal period. And they would actually have a ceremony, the betrothal ceremony. And during this ceremony, part of it is that they would partake of a cup, which would be called the cup of sanctification. This cup, as part of the process, was a symbol of this, the sanctity of the marriage relationship. It was a reminder of the separation unto one another. At this point, the couple would be considered marriage or married. They would not be able to break this marriage apart apart from a marriage certificate. Now, what makes it interesting is that while they were considered married, after the ceremony, both husband and wife would still go home to live with their parents. There would be this betrothal period, which was some 6 to 12 months, while the husband is preparing and getting the home ready. And after that time frame, they would gather together for the second part of the marriage ceremony, which was now the final marriage ceremony. And there's a long procession that takes place with this. But in a nutshell, they are here. They have the ceremony. They partake of the cup of consummation as a symbol of this is what's about to happen here. Now the two couples are about to be united physically as well. And they would be considered now fully married, living together. Now they would go on to start a family. That is the context that we are jumping into right now. And so what we begin to find out is that the gospel of Matthew focuses on this announcement, again, through the eyes of Mary. I'm sorry, the eyes of Joseph. Luke focuses the attention on Mary. And what we gather from the gospel of Luke is really how Mary finds out about her being pregnant. And I want to read it to you guys really quickly in order to get an understanding of what was really taking place and how this was rolling out. Now understand with me as well, most scholars believe that Mary and Joseph were very young, possibly teenagers, as that was the common norm in the culture. So think that through as we're walking through these decisions and, and the different announcements being proclaimed to them. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26, we see this. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. And he shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great. And will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom there will be no end. And so Mary, 
asks a question and says, How can this be, since I do not know a man? Great question. An angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now as we're digging in, it's, it's important to take note of that both the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew, they both tell us that Mary is found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. Luke would tell us that Mary is a virgin, that she has not known a man. Matthew would tell us that she was pregnant before she knew Joseph. And so it's important to understand that the birth of Jesus was a supernatural act. It was a, of divine origin. And this is very important to understand because the doctrine of the virgin birth is important to the entire structure of our fundamental theology. What do you mean? Think this through with me. If Jesus had been born of a natural father, he would have inherited the human sinful nature of Adam. And therefore, his death on the cross would not have served or would not be able to serve as a substitutionary sacrifice for us. If Jesus were born of a natural father, he would not have been infinite. Therefore, he would not have been able to die for an entire world. If Jesus had been born of a natural father, he would have been merely a zealous religious leader. He could not have been the only begotten of the Father. He could not have been God. If Jesus had been born of a natural father, then we could not trust the scriptures because the Old Testament prophecies would not have been fulfilled. Therefore, the Bible as we know it would be unreliable. And so it's very important to understand and to take note that the birth of Jesus was a supernatural act. Now, the Gospel of John, John is really focusing on proving Jesus' deity. That's his focus throughout his letter. And what he begins with right off the bat is saying this. In John chapter 1, verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made. A few verses down in verse 14, he says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John is telling us that Jesus was the word who was at the beginning, the one who created all things. Jesus is God who stepped down in the flesh onto earth in order that he would rescue you and I. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, says this, The Son of God is the Word of God. When, therefore, the Bible proclaims that Jesus as the Son of God, the statement is meant as an assertion of his distinct personal deity. The Christmas message rests on the staggering fact that the child in the manger was God. The fact that Jesus' birth was supernatural 
would be important for the Jewish readers to understand as Matthew is trying to present a case to them that Jesus is the promised coming king, the promised Messiah. Now, let's keep moving. Look with me in verse 19. Because it says this, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Now, we really don't know exactly how Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, but at some point he found out. And the news of this must have been devastating for him. Now, as we're moving through, you begin to see that Matthew writes that Joseph being the husband of Mary. Interesting that he's called the husband when they actually have not completed the second portion. Just a reminder again, as we look at the culture, being that they're in the betrothal period, Joseph is considered the husband, Mary the wife. Therefore, any act of unfaithfulness during this time is considered adultery. And adultery at this point would be considered or would be seen with great consequences. And so this shows us why at this point Joseph has said that he's looking for a way that he would be able to divorce her. A reminder that at this point he would need a certificate of divorce to get out of this marriage. But it's interesting to see what is written that Joseph looks to see how he can divorce Mary secretly. It gives us insight into the character of Joseph. The fact that you're sitting here and and you're receiving this news that you were not expecting, by all means, you have every right to divorce her and possibly to make this a public spectacle to prove that you were innocent. And yet we see that Joseph looks out and looks after Mary. It goes to show you some of the love that he might have had for her. To care for her regardless of what has just happened to him. It's very possible that as we begin to dig in, you get some insight as to why God would use a man like this. We're told that he was a just man. And that phrase, when you see just man, is talking about he was approved in the sight of God. He was a man who lived in such a way that God was pleased by him. One commentator spoke about this situation and said that it would not be consistent with his uprightness to expose his betrothed to public reproach. In other words, the act of exposing Mary before everyone would not be in line with the character of Joseph because to expose her to the public would mean humiliation, possibly harm, and possibly even cost her her life. It goes to show you what God saw within this man, the character that lied within him, and it gives you insight into what the home that Jesus grew up in might have even looked at or looked, seeing the character of Joseph here. Now look with me in verse 20. It says, But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, 
For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, we addressed this already as supernatural. And she will, be, or she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now what I want us to do is to put ourselves in the shoes of Joseph at this moment. Because you have Joseph who has known Mary possibly since they were kids. They possibly had an arranged marriage from the time they were very young, had grown to love her, has now entered the first stage of marriage, has gone on to prepare a home, a home that he's hoping soon to bring Mary into, to make a home with her, to eventually raise children in. And all of a sudden, he hears the news that Mary is pregnant. I can imagine the thoughts and the emotions that must have overtaken Joseph when he heard the news. What happened? Who was the father? How could she do this? What are people going to think of her? What are people going to think of me? What are my parents going to think? How can I possibly get a divorce with no one knowing? We don't know exactly what was running through his mind, but we can assume these things had to have ran through his mind. And we're told that while he was thinking about these things, he fell asleep. The Lord speaks to him and sends an angel in a dream to him. And we're told that these thoughts, at one point, as I was looking at this, I thought, you know what? I can imagine sitting and hearing this news. I can imagine the thoughts it would create within me. I can imagine the, the fear of what others may think. I can imagine the stress of having to make that decision. I can imagine, especially being a young man, possibly even a teenager, having to make now these big decisions. It had to have created fear and it had to have created at some point some form of anxiety within Joseph. Because we're told that the first thing the angel of the Lord tells him is what? Is do not fear to take Mary as your wife. It's interesting that God begins to bring comfort to Joseph at a time where he needed it most. Follow with me because you see God bringing comfort to Joseph with a reassurance of his presence. In verse 20, we see that God sends an angel to speak to Joseph on his behalf. It's oftentimes when you and I are going through difficult situations, when we're going through hardships, when the pressures of life become too much to bear, that it's a reminder or an understanding of God's presence being with us that often can bring comfort and often give us strength to persevere through the difficulties. Psalm 145.18 says, The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. 
Isaiah 41.10 would say, Fear not, for I am with you, the Lord would say. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. It's oftentimes understanding that God is with us in the midst of the hardest situation we're dealing with that enables us to have that comfort and that strength to persevere. Not only does God bring comfort to Joseph with the reassurance of his presence, but God brings comfort here to Joseph with the reassurance of his purpose. Look with me in verse 21. Because the angel says, And she, talking about Mary, will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The angel tells Joseph that Mary is carrying a baby of the Holy Spirit, and his name shall be Jesus, for he will save his people. Now it's interesting that the name Jesus in Hebrew is Yeshua, or it's literally Yahweh is salvation. Now there's a neat parallel in the Old Testament. You find Moses, who um, is considered a representation of the law as God would give the law through Moses. And what we find is, as we look at the scriptures, is that Moses, um, though he was given the law, he was never able to take the children of Israel into the promised land. What we see is that in time, God would raise up Joshua, who would take the place of Moses in order to take the people into the promised land. Now, the parallel is really clear as we look at it, that the, the law, while it is important, while it is necessary, could never take you and I to a place where we could have a right standing with God based upon our keeping of that law. And so, just as God would have to raise up Joshua in the Old Testament, God would raise up our Joshua, our Yeshua, Jesus, to come down here on earth, to take on sin in order to make a way for you and I to obtain a right standing before God. The problem with humanity, the problem with you and I is that no matter how much we try to obtain a right standing before God, our works can never be good enough. No matter how much we try to keep every aspect of the law, on our own works, we will always fall short. In Isaiah 64, 6, talking about our works, it says, But we are all like unclean things, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And so God made a way for us to have a right standing through his son. What the law could not do, Jesus fulfilled that. That in him, you and I can obtain a right standing before God. Romans chapter 8 verse 3 says, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh on the account of sin. 
He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You and I, therefore, are not saved by our works, but we are saved by faith. We are saved by grace. Now, the very name of Jesus was a description of his mission. What God is telling Joseph is, look, I have a purpose for this child. I have a purpose for what you are going through. What may seem like it's the hardest thing within your life, I have a purpose in what is taking place here. And the purpose is that this son of yours is going to be the one who saves the world. In 1 John chapter 4, 14, it says, And we have seen and testified that the Father sent the Son as the Savior to the world. Jesus himself would say this in John chapter 12. He'd say, I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to, the, to judge the world, but to save the world. There was a purpose in the coming of this child. And God is now reassuring or bringing comfort with the reassurance of this purpose. Not only is there a plan and purpose for your life, Joseph, but there's a plan and purpose that I have for all of humanity. And that's found within the birth of this son. And you find that God would bring comfort not only with the reassurance of his presence, not only with the reassurance of his purpose, but also with the reassurance of his promises. Look with me in verse 22. Because he says, So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Here, God is bringing clarity to the promises found within the Word of God. God is telling Joseph, not only do I have a purpose, but there's a, a, a reason why Mary is pregnant right now. There's a reason why she has to be pregnant outside of marriage, why, she has to be, why it has to be a virgin birth. That's in order to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies. Remember, that Matthew is writing to Jewish readers. And he's trying to present a case to them that Jesus is the promised king, the promised Messiah. And so some 20 times, Matthew would continue to say, these things either are done or these things are happening. What you're seeing Jesus say, what you're seeing Jesus do, these things are happening that it might be fulfilled. And, and Matthew makes this link. He keeps drawing back to the Old Testament, saying this is happening in order, understand, that this would, it would be a fulfillment of what this prophet said. Matthew is linking what Jesus is doing and saying as a fulfillment of what Old Testament prophets had said, the very things that a Jewish reader during this culture would have understood. Understand that Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies at his coming, how he would be born, when he would be born, at what time he would be born, what city he would be born in. 
when he would enter into Jerusalem, how he would die, when he would die, all these things would be fulfillment of the promises given in the Old Testament. Here the angel, he's making reference to the prophecy found in Isaiah 7.14, which says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. There's a reason why Mary had to be pregnant the way she was, in order to fulfill this very prophecy. Now, it's interesting because we are told that Jesus will be called Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now, does that mean that this is going to be Jesus' nickname? It's going to be his middle name, Jesus Emmanuel Christ? No. This is in reference to God taking on flesh, coming down into earth, being a third member of the Godhead, and yet stepping into human flesh, being born on this earth, eventually to die on a cross for you and I. The greatest promise that we find within the Bible is that God has made a way for you and I to have an intimate relationship with him. God has made a way for you and I to be reconciled with him. What we could never do on our own, God, because of his great love for you and I, has made that way. In 2 Corinthians 5.18, says, Now all these things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. In Colossians chapter 1, I love this, It says, For it pleased the Father that in him, in Jesus, all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross, and you, he says, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach. That is the promise that we find within the word of God. That God has made a way for you and I to have an intimate relationship with him. The beautiful promise of God stepping down to earth to be with you, to be with me. Now, I don't want to miss the practical side of this either. Because what you find here is that God is ministering and speaking to Joseph. He's bringing comfort to him. He's bringing direction, telling him what to do here. He's bringing promises here as well, all found within the very words of God. At the moment that he needed it most. It reminds me of a story in 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19. The prophet Elijah has just had a great victory. He's had a great victory over these 450 prophets of Baal. And we're told that the queen, Jezebel, hears about this and now begins to threaten the life of Elijah, saying that he's going to die. And so what we see this great prophet do is he runs. He runs with this fear, right? Fear for his life, and he takes off. And eventually you see him crying out to God, 
And he starts saying, Lord, look, I've been zealous for you, and, and now I am the only one left, and now they're after my life. Talk about being at the lowest point of your life. And it's here that God speaks and ministers to Elijah. Elijah would be told to go to the mountainside and to stand out there because the presence of the Lord is going to come upon him. And we're told that God's voice was not in uh, the strong wind. It was not in the earthquake. It was not in the fire. But it was in a still, small voice that God begins to speak to him and asks him, Hey, what are you doing here? What are you doing? God would, therefore, give direction to Elijah and say, Hey, look, go back to where you were. Anoint Jehu as king, anoint Elisha as the prophet who's going to take your place. And then he brings promises to Elijah. Look, I know you think you're alone, but I have 7,000 men who have not, bow, or have not bowed their knee to Baal. Understand that God often works the same way in our lives. It's often in the darkest times in our life, in our hardships, that God will bring comfort, will bring direction through his word and through his promises. And very much in the same way that God would speak to Joshua or Joseph, in the same way he would speak to Elijah, God would say, I have a plan for you, Joseph. I have a plan for what you are going through. There is a purpose and you are not alone. And I would even suggest to say that today, maybe if you've walked in here with a heavy heart, maybe there's heavy situations that you're going through, maybe you're dealing with a situation that you would ask, I have no idea why this happened to us. I have no understanding. I have no insight as to why God would allow this. Maybe there's heavy decisions you have to make. And in the midst of the anxiety, in the midst of the fear, in the midst of the pressures of life, God would say the same thing to you and I that he would say here. I have a plan for what you are going through. I have a purpose in what you are dealing with. And you are not alone. The promise of God with us. Now, look with me. Because it says in verse 24, Then Joshua, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took him as his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Now Joseph wakes up from his dream. God has spoken to him. He obviously has believed in these promises because you find that Joseph here has gone and has obeyed God's word. He honors God and honors Mary and taking her as his wife and tells us that he did not know her until after she had given birth to Jesus. But I, I want to look at really briefly, we cannot neglect to see the character of Joseph in this. Because we've obviously, we've seen and it told us that Joseph was a man who was just. He lived in such a way that pleased God. We also want to look at that Joseph was a man who was selfless. What do you mean? Well, when he found out about what Mary, what had happened, we see that rather than putting her out, rather than allowing harm to come to her, he made it a point to protect her 
and to think of her rather than himself. He had an out to the game here, and rather, he was looking to protect her. Goes to show you the love of thinking of her before himself. Joseph was a man who trusted God's promises, he trusted in God's plan, and he trusted in God's timing. If I'm honest with you, it's not always easy to surrender to God's plan and God's timing. Oh, we want the promises, but we don't want to deal with the timing or we don't want to deal with the methods that God may use to fulfill those promises. Here you find that Joseph surrenders himself to the will of God in order to fulfill the promises not only in his life, but the promises that would be for you and I. Joseph was a man who completely obeyed God's word. There's no wonder why God chose to use a vessel like Joshua. I'm like Joshua. I keep saying Joshua. Like Joseph. There's no wonder why God would want to do a work in him at a young age. One of the things I love working with youth is this very thing. There's no age limit to God grabbing a hold of an individual and doing an amazing work. There is no you're too young. There is no you're too old. A person who is completely consecrated, a person who is completely all in with what God wants to do in their life, there is no telling what God can do through a life like that. Now, we don't have time to go through the details of the birth of Jesus. But I do want to read this. In Luke chapter 2, we'll read through the birth of Jesus in order to prepare us and to gain a full understanding of the story we're looking at and in order to prepare us as we jump into chapter 2 next week. But it says this in Luke. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while... um, Cunerus was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is, in, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her, deli- her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. As we read that, you can't help but be reminded of God's love for you and I. I was sitting over here when we were um, leading, or when they were leading worship. And I was getting emotional. I was sitting there, and I couldn't tell if it was nerves or if it was because of the songs that we were singing. But I was, I was getting emotional because those songs that we were singing were just reminding me of God's love for me. I couldn't help but as I was singing those words and looking at them to realize God loved me so much that he was willing to step into this human flesh 
to be born in the lowliest of ways, to live in an unjust world, to suffer unjustly, ultimately to die on the cross because of me. If that doesn't stir up within your heart, if it doesn't well up an understanding of God's love, I don't know what will. Because God did that for you and for me. J.I. Packer would say, the Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity. Hope of pardon. Hope of peace with God. Hope of glory because at the Father's will, Jesus became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later, he might hang on a cross. It is the most wonderful message that the world has ever heard or will hear. Emmanuel, God with us. This is our King. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for tonight. We thank you for the reminder of your great love for us. God, we understand that there is nothing that we ever did or could do to deserve your love. We thank you, God, that you personally thought of each one of us, even here in this room. We thank you for the promise that you are with us. God, we thank you for the reality that you say you are not alone. And I pray even for those that may be here, maybe for those watching online, those that may listen to this later, that if you're struggling with a heavy situation in your life, the pressures of life are getting to you, the decisions are overwhelming, I pray even now, God, that they would feel your presence upon them. That you would comfort them and reassure them with your presence. To let them know that you have a plan, you have a purpose, and they are not alone. We thank you for every aspect of our life, knowing, God, that you ordain every part of what we go through. And we know that your plans and your promises are much greater and higher than anything we can ever think of or ask. And so tonight we trust you. We thank you. We lift up our heart to you, God, and just in gratitude say thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Why don't we all stand? I think Mead's going to sing us one last song, but I would encourage you tonight... Maybe you're watching online, maybe even here, and you've never accepted the Lord within your heart, and maybe you've never been fully aware of, understood of the magnitude of God's love for you. As we're singing this song, I would ask that you would cry out to God, that you would cry out to God that he would hear you, that he would forgive you, that he would enter your heart at this moment. For us who maybe have made that commitment, I pray that this moment would be just a moment where we can sit and thank God and say thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you because you have loved me. Amen? Amen.